A very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ and also the friends who have joined us for this morning's worship, both online as well as physically. We thank you for taking time to be with us, to uh, worship our great God with us. We are currently on a series of lessons talking about leadership. Over the past few weeks, we have considered about leadership of elders, leadership of deacons, leadership of teachers, and also leadership in the home. And today we'll be talking about leadership in the worship assemblies. I think this is a topic that uh, we need to give more thought to, especially as uh, the men serve as men to serve. Remember that you are also serving as leaders and examples for brethren to follow. And leadership in the worship assembly is, is important because worshipping God is important. So the leadership must be important as well. As John 4.24, Jesus tells us that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so those who lead in the worship assembly have an important duty because they're helping the congregation to worship God as he demands, to worship in spirit with the right attitude and worship in truth with the right acts of worship. In fact, consider the writings of the Apostle Paul. Worship is important to him. In fact, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, towards the last part of the letter, he actually addressed extensively the problems of the worship that is being conducted in the church in Corinth. So he addressed some of these problems, the wrongdoings that they are involved in. For instance, consider the Lord's Supper. Paul addressed the abuse of the Lord's Supper because what they were doing is that they were taking the Lord's Supper like a common meal. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22, he says, What? Have you not houses to eat in and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame them which have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So what was happening in this chapter is that people were coming early to the church and taking the Lord's Supper. They were taking it like a, like a meal uh, because they may not have breakfast, so they come here to eat. They do not wait for the rest to gather together and they were partaking of it first. But for others, they were looking down on these people. How come you don't have anything to eat at home? Why are you coming here to eat like a common meal? So Paul's address to them is, when you take Lord's Supper, wait for one another. Then Lord's Supper is significant. It's not just a common meal for you to fill your stomach. Paul says, if you have houses, go and eat at your homes. Don't come to the church and then partake of it. Over here at Eastside, we are blessed that we have our Auntie Irene always preparing breakfast for us. But again, we should not take it like coming here for a feast. We are coming here, remember, is to worship God. Another problem that the church in Corinth had was with regards to prayer. What was happening here is that the men were actually leading in prayers, but they were speaking in tongues. They want to demonstrate their spiritual gifts. They wanted to show off. And so Paul addressed again this abuse of tongue speaking. He says, Else, when you bless with the Spirit, how shall he, the occupier, the room of the unlearned, say Amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? So Paul is saying that, what is the use of praying if people can't say Amen? Amen means you are agreeing with the prayer, so be it. But if you don't understand, how can you say Amen? How do you know whether the person praying is praying scripturally? Whether he's talking about things that actually glorify God? So for people to say Amen, they have to understand. So he says, don't abuse it. You have spiritual gifts, yes, but make sure that it can be interpreted. If not, withhold these gifts. They also have problems with other areas in worship. For example, in the preaching. So during the preaching, in the first century, they do not have the reviewed, the fully reviewed New Testament. So God actually gave them direct revelation and they use that to prophesy, meaning to foretell, to foretell. So prophecy can be used in two senses, foretelling, meaning predicting the future, or foretelling, revealing truths from God. So there were people who were giving the gift of revelation that they can reveal truths from God. But what was problem? What was the problem is that they were doing it in a haphazard manner, very disorderly. Because there are people who want to speak over one another. I'm speaking. Someone else had the revelation. I want to speak also. So they were trying to fight for airtime in order to glorify themselves. But Paul tells them to speak in turn. And if you are speaking in tongues, make sure it must be interpreted. If not, you do not speak in tongues. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.31 that they are to prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, time and again, Paul will say that exercise the gifts for the edifying of the church, to build up the church. And they can only be built up if they understand what they are hearing. They also have problems with their giving as well. 
Paul gave instructions for them to give. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. But again, it seems that there was a problem because there was a deficiency in giving. In fact, when Paul wrote to them the book of 2 Corinthians, he said that you have already promised to give something a year ago, but right now you still have not collected enough. So they were not giving as they should. So there were many various problems with the Corinthian church and Paul addressed their problems in worship. It seems to me that the only thing that they have no problem is with that of singing. Uh, okay? But the rest of the acts of worship, they have the wrong attitude. They have the wrong spirit when they come to worship God. So worship to God is important. And for those of us who are leading in worship, we have a very important responsibility because we help or hinder the worship depending on whether things are done decently and in order. Of course, worshippers also have a personal responsibility because all of us have a personal obligation to worship God in spirit and in truth, regardless of whether the worship leader is doing his part correctly. But in this lesson, I would like for us to consider the role of leaders in the worship assembly. Okay. So all of us need to do and to worship God in spirit and in truth and to be done, done decently and in order. Let's first consider those who are leading in prayer. In the Bible, we know that prayer is part of congregational worship. How do we know that? You know, sometimes we take for granted that we have five acts of worship, huh? but we need to be able to defend our faith and to tell people why we do what we do. So let's consider how do we know that prayer is a part of worship. If people ask you, why are you praying? How do you know? If the Bible tells you to pray out as part of congregational worship, well, we need to explain to them. Let's consider the context, the overall context, before we look at the immediate context. When we look at 1 Corinthians 11, the context from chapter 11 to chapter 16 deals with worship. Chapter 11, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. Chapter 14, Paul talks about praying, singing, and preaching. Chapter 16, he talks about giving. So all five acts of worship are covered from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to chapter 16. In the immediate context in 1 Corinthians 14, we also know that he's talking about worship. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 and verse 26, Paul talks about the church coming together. So the church is coming together, they are assembling in order to worship. And it's in this context that Paul talks about praying. Verse 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. So this tells us that worship, the prayer, is part of the acts that we do when we come together to worship God. And when we pray, we need to have the right attitude. This means that we must have the attitude of reverence. Consider our Lord Jesus, even when you pray to God, He displayed utmost reverence to God, even though He's God Himself, but He also had a lot of respect for God, an honor for God. Look at what He said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. He says that, Who in the days of His flesh, when our Lord Jesus was man on earth, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was hurt in that he feared. Some translations translate the last part and was hurt in that he feared as because of his reverence. In fact, the word feared or reverence is translated from the Greek word eulabeia, which means reverence, veneration. So notice that God hears the prayers of our Lord. Why? Because he was revering God. He was showing reverence to God. He venerated God. That's a very powerful word to use. Huh? It shows the utmost respect that Jesus had when he prayed to God. So when we pray to God, we must display the kind of reverence, not the kind of flippant informality that some people have. You know, when we pray to God, even though we have a relationship with God, we are his children. Huh? But when we talk to them, talk to God, huh? we must have the proper respect, the formality when we pray to God. It's just like you talk to your parents, even though you're close to your parents, uh, you also address them as father and mother, right? You don't get to call them by their first name, uh, they'll be very disrespectful. Okay. So today, some people, sometimes I hear people pray, uh, they're very informal, uh, okay? They pray as dear dad, uh, okay? Yeah, it's over God as your father, but you have to have the kind of reverence for him, the kind of honor and awe. Hold him with the utmost respect. In particular, those who are leading in prayers, they have to live holy lives. Look at what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Here, Paul talks about prayer. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Here, Paul says, I will that men pray everywhere. 
So this tells us that the men are to be the ones leading in prayers. And this is interesting because if you look at 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, the Bible says God wills for all men to be saved. The word men there is not just the males. Huh? God only wants the males to be saved. Women uh, don't, don't need to be saved. But the word men there in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 actually means mankind, anthropos, okay? and mankind. But over here is from the Greek word anna, which means males, just males. So God wants for males to lead in prayer. That's why in the church, where we talk about leading in worship, we have no women leadership. Because God says that men are to be the ones leading in worship. In prayer, even in teaching as well. Because 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, Paul will say that women cannot teach or to usurp authority over the men. But notice that men are to pray, but what else? He says they are to lift up holy hands. Huh? The emphasis is not on the lifting of the hands. Huh? You don't need to have to pray, lift your hands when you pray. Just like the Bible says, greet one another for holy kiss. Huh? The emphasis is not on the word kiss, but on the word holy. The kiss is telling that you have to show hospitality, the kind of love. Okay. So when we meet each other, sometimes we give handshake. But I think after COVID, uh, we stop having handshakes. Uh, we just be higher uh, and we give fist bump. Okay. But over here, it's talking about not just lifting up hands. You can lift hands if you want, but the emphasis is on the word holy hands, the holy conduct. So when we pray, especially those leading in prayers, conduct must be right. Why so? Because Psalm 66 verse 18 tells us that if we, if we regard iniquity in our heart, God will not hear us. So imagine if I'm not living a right life, I'm living in sin, but I want to lead the congregation in worship, but God will not listen to my prayers. So when we pray, we need to make sure that we are living upright lives before God. And prayer leaders also cannot doubt, okay, because God accepts the prayer of faith. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 6 to verse 7, the Bible talks about when we are go to God asking Him for things, in the context talking about wisdom, the Bible says, let Him ask in faith. Nothing doubting. Uh. You don't doubt because the man that doubts will not receive anything from the Lord. So when prayer leaders come out to pray, you pray for people who are sick, you pray for the success of events, we need to believe that God will answer prayers. Uh. If you come here and pray, but you don't think that, I don't really think that the person will get well. God will not answer the prayer. Well, that prayer will not be answered. So those leading prayers, we need to live holy lives and also be able to pray with faith. And when we pray, we have to take note why it's prayer. Prayer is not coming here to give a thank you message. Sometimes people forget about that. They come here to pray and they say, we like to thank brother so and so. Remember when we pray, we are addressing God. We are not addressing men. People join us in prayer. But primarily prayer is directed to God. Imagine how weird it will be. Imagine if I want to thank my wife for the cooking, but I don't tell her. I thank my mama. I thank my wife for my cooking. It will be very weird, right? I have to talk to my wife directly, thank her, right? But that's what we are doing when we pray, right? We pray to God. We thank brother so and so. But imagine we are talking to God. The rest are joining us in prayer. We can thank God for brethren, but don't thank brethren in the prayer. That will be very weird because we are praying to God. And also prayer, don't treat it like a mini sermon. Uh. I've heard prayers where it's like a sermon within a sermon, within a prayer. Uh. They pray for everything. Again, remember, you are praying to God. Uh. You are bringing forth petitions of the congregation to God. Imagine you go and bring a petition to a king, uh. But in the petition, you write about the message you want to tell the other people, how you want to, what you want them to do. Again, it'd be very weird. Huh? So remember, prayer is to be directed to God, but it's to be prayed in the name of Jesus. We don't address Jesus in prayer. Why so? Because Jesus himself tells us that we are to direct prayers to the Father. In John 16, 23, Jesus says, in that day, the context is talking about after his resurrection. When he died, he resurrected, he was ascended to heaven. He says, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. So based on the authority given in scriptures, we don't pray to Jesus. Because Jesus says, don't ask me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So Jesus says, prayer is to be directed to the Father. But we pray in Jesus' name, in his authority. Why so? Because that is what he commanded us to do. So when we pray, remember, praying to God, not to man. So we must have the reverence and to pray appropriately. So I have to offer some suggestions for those leading in prayers. And these suggestions are not just my own, uh, my, my own wisdom, uh, but it's what I learned from others okay, over the years, over the Bible class. Even in my study at Fossil's College, our instructor trained us in some of this, uh, what to do when we lead in worship. So I have to share some of the pointers that I pick up, which I found useful. Some for observation and even for my own personal mistakes. Some of that I realized after preparing this lesson, I'm guilty of quite a number of them. So I'm still trying to correct and to make sure that I don't commit the same things that I teach others not to do. 
So some suggestions when we pray, uh, make sure we speak out loudly and clearly. Have you seen in prayers before when the end, uh, you don't even know what is happening? Uh? Everybody already close, opening eyes, uh, you're still there closing your eyes because you can't hear it. Uh. So make sure even though we are praying to God, but people must hear our prayers so that they can say Amen. Uh. If you can't hear it, you can't say Amen because I don't know whether the person is saying the right thing scripturally or not. And when we pray, okay, my instructor always reminds us, use simple and concise words. Uh. As you see earlier, Paul is saying that if a person doesn't understand, how can he say Amen at the giving of thanks? Sometimes we use prayers, uh, you can use flowery language or pri pri private prayers, can because you want to praise God. But when we are praying public prayers, make sure that people can understand. We have people who are visitors, they may not understand the words justification, they don't really know what it means. Even children, they are also hearing the prayers. So make sure that they can understand, they can follow the prayers as well. Use concise words. Okay? In fact, my instructors encourage us Try not to use the word de thou dine, even though they're terms of respect. But because for us who have grown up studying the new King James, you can understand what this means. But imagine the visitor comes in, they're not familiar with de thou dine. You pray this, they don't know what you're talking about, they don't know who you're referring to. So use words that people can understand. Even though prayer is true to God, but people must be able to understand to say Amen. And also avoid the use of routine phrases and trite phrases as particular phrases that are not very obvious in their meaning. One phrase I always like to use uh, is furtherance of the gospel. Uh, okay? uh, it's something that we use it so that it can summarize a key thought. But again, we think about it, uh, furtherance of the gospel. Imagine the visitor comes in. What is the furtherance of the gospel? Uh, what does it mean? Okay? We are used to the meaning. We know what it means. But remember, visitors must be able to hear and to be edified. Okay? So try not to use routine phrases. Sometimes we say out of habit that we don't even think, uh, we don't even process. Some of these phrases come automatically to mind. Uh, when we hear of it, it just dances fast. We don't meditate upon it. So try to pray with words that people can understand and people can follow. So when we lead in prayers, remember it's a heavy responsibility because we are like a spokesman. We bring the petitions of the congregation and bring to God in prayers. So let us lead, with, lead our prayers with the right attitude and with the right mindset. Next, let's talk about leading in singing. Again, we examine is singing part of congregational worship. Again, we see that that is the case. Earlier, we have looked at 1 Corinthians 14, 15. We look at prayer as part of the context of worship. Paul says, I will pray the Spirit, I will pray the understanding also. He also says, I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. So singing is definitely part of congregational worship. In fact, we realize that when we sing, Jesus is in our midst as well. He is worshipping God together with us. Uh. Hebrews 2 verse 12 here the Hebrew writer quotes Jesus as saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren. So God will declare God's name to the brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. So notice that when we pray, when we sing, Christ is in our midst. But he also tells us that in the midst of the church. So when the church comes together, we sing. So singing is part of congregational worship as well. So if Jesus is in our midst, we better give our best when we sing to God in worship as well. In fact, in singing, the attitude that we need to have is the attitude of joy. Uh. You sing praises to God, have the heart. Don't sing every day like reading a tune, uh, but no heart in it. Put your heart into your singing. Ephesians 5 verse 19 says, we have to speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hotezo says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh. The spirit must be right. You make melody in your heart, the joyfulness. In fact, sometimes when we come to worship, we say that we feel like it's a chore, we don't feel edified, we don't feel... Uh, we do feel the joy. Why is it so? Perhaps it's because we are not singing. Do you realize that singing actually uplifts your spirit? Uh? A lot of time people sing uh, when they're happy, right? Uh, James 5.13 says, Is anyone afflicted? Let him pray. Is anyone married? Let him sing psalms. Uh? Do you realize that when you sing, uh, it makes you happier? Uh? A lot of times you're in a happy mood, you sing. And then you become more happy. So when we come to worship God, same thing. We always like to start worship with singing. Why so? Because singing uplifts our spirit. When we sing, the whole congregation sing, uh, it's very beautiful. Your spirits get lifted up. Especially the song tells us of God's love. We teach and edify one another. It moves us and we are in the right frame of mind when we worship God. So when we sing, let us sing with the attitude of joy. Particularly, for those leading in singing, they need to lead with, they need to sing with the understanding. As Paul says, I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. So this means that song leaders must understand what they are singing. Because you are leading the congregation, you must set the right mood, the right pace of the song. 
Take for instance, if you lead a hymn, onward Christian soldiers, uh, but your heart is not there. You sing it with a, with a lackluster tone. Onward Christian So You don't feel the enthusiasm and excitement. Uh. The song is talking about Christians coming to war, fighting in the battle, Christian battle. The enthusiasm must be there. But if you sing low in the grave, he lay, uh, you don't reflect the somber tone. Uh. You sing very fast. Low in the grave, he lay. It's all very cheerful, very chirpy. Uh. Again, the whole tune, the whole mood is gone. People are coming here to reflect on Christ there. So song leaders, again, have an important role. When you sing, reflect on the lyrics. It's important to get the notes right, but it's also important for us to be able to understand it and to reflect it in the mood when we lead the singing as well. Remember, singing uh, to God is not a performance. Uh, okay? So it's not just that only those who are gifted can sing. Sometimes we are a bit paisa, uh, uh, yeah, I can't sing well. Maybe I keep quiet. Uh, don't want to disrupt the singing. But remember, singing is not a performance. It's to God. Uh, we are not here to entertain people. Okay? Entertainment is such that you go to watch a show, uh, people sing, you keep quiet, you enjoy. You are, in fact, you are not expected to sing. Uh. You go and watch your musical, you go and sing along. Uh. People are not there to hear or sing. They are there to be entertained. But when we come to worship God, we are not entertaining. We are not being entertained. We are not performing for others. So it's only right that everybody must sing, regardless of whether you have the singing ability. You think about it. Uh, if you are singing with your heart, with your soul, and you understand the words, uh, you may be out of tune, uh, but to God, maybe you are the best singer there because God sees that you are singing with your whole heart. In fact, let's look at what Colossians 3.16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, but we have to teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So this you are teaching and admonishing one another. So the singing is reciprocal. Uh. When I sing, I'm teaching you, I'm encouraging you. When you sing, you are encouraging me as well. It's not just one person singing, everybody listen, but everybody are to sing. That is what God demands of us. We are here to praise God, not to entertain ourselves. And that is what God requires of us. So again, I'd like to offer some suggestions for song leaders. Firstly, choose hymns that are scriptural and familiar, particularly for the opening hymn and the invitation hymn. Let me explain why do I say that. Choose hymns that are scriptural. I think we know what that means. Huh? Because some lyrics may not be scriptural. One of the hymns that I used to like huh, is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But I stopped reading the hymn. Why so? Because you look at the lyrics of the hymn, actually it talks about praying to Jesus, which we have mentioned earlier that we don't do that. So song leaders, make sure that you choose the right hymn. Go through the lyrics beforehand because you don't want to lead a hymn and then realize, hey, actually, Salah, I cannot sing this. It's talking about praying to Jesus. In fact, a lot of hymns you have in the hymn books talks about praying to Jesus. Why so? Because they are written by denominations and some of them, they actually pray to Jesus. So make sure that it reflects the scripturalness of what we learn in the Bible. And choose hymns that are familiar, uh, especially the opening hymn. Why? Because you are there to uplift the mood. Uh. But imagine you choose a hymn that nobody knows. Uh. You are the only one singing. Uh. Everybody gets very confused. Same for invitation hymn. Okay. Imagine the person is to hear a rousing sermon. He already wants to step forward to obey the gospel. But then you start and lead a hymn. Hey, nobody knows. Every, only you are singing. Everybody very quiet. The person gets very confused, disoriented. Uh. Hey, what's happening? Uh? Can I step up now? Or am I supposed to wait? Uh? Nobody is singing. So choose a hymn that people are comfortable, familiar with, and then people can follow. Bible classes, I mean, is, is, uh, we can use some hymns that we can learn, and then uh, people can, can, can use them. But when it comes to worship, make sure that for the sake of our visitors, choose hymns that everyone can follow. And also, practice the hymns beforehand. Okay? You know, song leader is a very heavy responsibility. You have to make sure that you have the time signature right. You make sure you have the notes right. You make sure you have the pitch right. Uh. A lot of things you have to remember. So it will do you well to practice all this beforehand. So that when you lead singing, then you can be able to sing with understanding. If not, be very spending a lot of time trying to make sure you get the right note, the pauses correctly and all this. You can do that, but do it beforehand. So when you sing then, you can sing with your heart, with your understanding. And also, realize that a lot of hymns, sometimes they're the same title. Uh. So you don't want to go up there and say, oh, oh no, I choose the same title, but the wrong hymn that I intended. The love of God. Uh. We have two different versions of the love of God. The Lord's, our she the Lord's my shepherd. Uh, that's a dangerous one. Uh, because boy, the starting same words. Uh. You go there, you see the wrong tune, and then you realize how it's actually wrong. You have to start again. So make sure you prepare the hymns beforehand so that you don't get caught with any nasty surprises. And also, sing loudly with gusto. We are not just here to start the hymn and let the congregation lead. Uh. You are there to start and then to guide them into the singing. 
So sing loudly, sing proudly, you are singing to God. So you do your best in giving God. So there must be the enthusiasm and the joy. The song leader makes a big difference, you know. If a song leader comes here without the spirit, without the heart, uh, oftentimes the congregation also feels very lackluster. Uh. But when you sing a song leading that is very good, uh, very rousing, uh, your spirits get lifted up as well. We have a lot of song, excellent song leaders in the church. I think these are very good song leaders that really prepare. They let me know the hymn beforehand and then they practice. And then you can see when they lead the songs, uh, it's very enthusiastic. And we get uplifted when we sing as well. So recognize that song leaders, again, play an important part in worship. You are a leader, make sure you fulfill the role. The next type of worship I'll talk about is preaching. Again, preaching is part of congregational worship. How do we know that? Acts 27 says, upon the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples came together, notice the church assembles together to break bread. And break bread, of course, we know it signifies the partaking of the Lord's Supper. So they come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. But what else was done? Paul preached unto them. So notice that there was preaching being done on the first day of the week when the church comes together. So preaching is indeed part of congregational worship. When we talk about preaching, those of us who are hearers, we need to have an attitude of receptiveness, just like those of Berea. In fact, the Bible commands the Bereans that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why so? Because they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Notice with all readiness of mind. Whatever Paul preached to them, they were ready to receive. But they also did their due diligence, making sure that what Paul teach was scriptural. They didn't just take for, take for granted that Paul is an example, as apostle. Definitely he won't say anything wrong. They still search. Huh? So when the preacher is preaching, make sure you search the scriptures whether he's saying the right thing. If not, then you may have to correct him as what Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos. He was preaching, he spoke something wrong about John's baptism, they corrected him in private. So make sure we are receptive and studying the Bible as we share the message. A lot of times, when preachers quote message, passages, they turn the Bible, we don't follow. Uh. But it would be good for us to follow so that we can see for ourselves what the Bible actually says. And notice, receptiveness means that we are not to pick and choose what we like to listen. But we are to hear the whole truth, even if it pricks our heart. Uh. A lot of times, we like to hear sermons when people are telling others what they have to do right. But when it comes to ourselves, perhaps we feel a bit sensitive. Uh. So today, when people talk about denominationism, oh, we are all in agreement. People need to change this, this practice, that practice is wrong. We agree, we listen. But how about things that break our heart? Uh? Sometimes preachers find it difficult to talk about giving uh, because very sensitive topic. Uh. You talk about giving, people get upset. Are you saying that I should give more? Am I not giving enough? And then we tune off. Or you talk about loving one another, forgiveness, difficult topics. Do we still listen or do we tune out of the preaching? So the Bible tells us we have to receive with all readiness of mind, always being eager to learn, always eager to make application to our lives. But in particular, those doing the preaching ought to live by what they teach. In our sermon previously, we talked about the leadership of teachers. We say they have a very heavy responsibility. In fact, James would tell the, the brethren in James 3 verse 1, Be not many of you masters or teachers, for you shall receive the greater condemnation, because teachers are held to a higher standard. In fact, Paul writing to Timothy says, Take it unto yourself and unto the doctrine, Continue in them, for in doing this you shall both save yourself and them that hear thee. Notice the important thing is you take it to yourself first, then to the doctrine. Why? Because you have to be an example of what you teach. And when we do that, people hear, they see the example, they follow, and it results in the salvation of all. So can you imagine a preacher that comes up to preach about the importance of the worship assembly? All of you must come to worship because worship God is important. But yet the preacher doesn't come regularly, uh, or he only comes when he's serving. How would that be a good example to others? People look at it and say, he talked about importance of worship, but he's not coming. There will be a very strong disconnect between the message and the preacher. So the message will not be effective unless we leave out by what we preach. And when we talk about preaching, preaching is not here to entertain people. Uh. It's not a comedy routine or storytelling. Uh. So sometimes preachers uh, want to entertain people, want to make people impressed. Uh. They spend so much time on preparing the jokes or the lesson uh, or, the, or, the, or the story uh, that they spend too little time on the content. Well, my instructor in Forces reminds us there's a difference between an entertaining sermon and a good sermon. Uh. A good sermon is one that is sound, preaching principles from God's word. 
preaching from verses in the Bible. Entertaining sermon is very different. Uh. You tell stories, you tell jokes, you make people feel good. Uh. After that, people thank you. Oh, very good sermon. Uh. Make me very entertained. I was paying attention the whole time. Well, but there's no preaching of God's word. So make a distinction. In fact, my instructor always reminds us, don't put jokes, don't put stories for the sake of telling it. Uh. Make sure there's a purpose. Okay. Yes, you can share, share a few jokes in order to book the, break the monotony, but make sure it's related. You can share stories, but these stories must illustrate a point, not to just tell stories for the sake of stories. As Paul says that you are to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The important thing is to preach the word. It's not to tell things to make people entertain. So again, let's look at some suggestions for those who are doing the preaching. Make sure you enunciate the words and read with proper emphasis. Uh, okay? Because people need to understand the message. Sometimes in the Bible are a bit difficult. Uh, okay? For example, sometimes we talk about Corinthians Chronicles. These two get very easily confused. Uh, so make sure you read properly so that people can understand. And also, make the sermon relevant to listeners with applications. A lot of times we give a lot of hate knowledge. But sometimes people need help to know how does it apply to them. You can explain a verse, you can give a commentary. But preaching is not just about giving the, the knowledge about it. But you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Nehemiah actually gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So we need to understand, but we also need to see how does this verse apply to my life? How does this sermon apply to me? What can I improve? Only then that sermon will be relevant to people's lives. It's not just say knowledge. Okay, I know about this. I know what, what, what to tell people. I know what to correct others. But how does it really apply to me? And lastly, extend the gospel invitation at the end of sermon. You see, an experienced preacher once told me that every topic in the world, uh, you can always link it back to God and His Word. Uh. So wherever you preach a sermon, no doubt the topic may seem a bit uh, different from the gospel message, but always have an invitation at the end. Who knows? Someone may be ready to obey the gospel at that point in time. Their hearts are already ready, but you miss out the opportunity. The next time the person hesitated, he already missed the impetus. He decided that he won't obey. Use every opportunity that we have as we preach a sermon to end off with a gospel invitation. I think a lot of our preachers actually do that. But just a reminder that always extend the invitation at the end of each sermon. Because you apply to them, help visitors to see how it applies to their lives as well and how they also need to obey the gospel in order to be pleasing unto God. Fourthly, let's look at leading in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is so part of congregational worship. Acts 27, earlier we see that the disciples came together to break bread on the first day of the week. So it tells us that the Lord's Supper is part of congregational worship. Another verse that is less used is Matthew 26, 29. Because Jesus says, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, new, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So notice the Lord's Supper is to be partaken in God's kingdom. And why is God's kingdom? When you look at Matthew 16, 18 and 19, we see that God's kingdom is the church. So we partake of the Lord's Supper in the church. And notice Jesus is with us uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper when we partake of it as well. So that tells us the solemnity of it, that Jesus is with us. The person who has died for us is with us when we remember his death. But also notice that Jesus says, I will not drink until in the Father's kingdom. So this tells us it's only in the church, the kingdom, that we partake of the Lord's Supper. So if we don't believe that the kingdom is here, then it doesn't make sense for us to partake of the Lord's Supper. So this verse also shows us that God's kingdom is already here. God's kingdom is His church. So in partaking Lord's Supper, we have to have the right attitude. An attitude of self-examination. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, when Paul was addressing the abuse of the Lord's Supper, remember he talked about how the Corinthians were coming early to partake as a common meal. Well, they were guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Why? Because they have failed to examine themselves. So 1 Corinthians 11 28 says, but let us man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So each time as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we reflect on Christ's sacrifice. But at the same time, we reflect on ourselves. Are we partaking of it in the right attitude and in the right manner? Particularly for those leading the Lord's Supper, make sure that we are focused when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we serve to others as well. So sometimes Lord, servers uh, can be very distracted. Uh. They pass around, then they come and check their phones on the secret. Uh. But it's very obvious that uh, people behind can see what they are doing. So don't do that. It's not a very good sign. 
And don't get distracted by the cute babies. Uh. I know babies are very cute, uh, very hard to resist, right? Not that the baby smile at you, or you feel very tempted to play. But don't do that because it's a very solemn occasion. We are remembering Jesus' death. In fact, Paul would tell the Christians that whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh. So notice the severity of it. Uh. If you are not taking it in the right manner, you are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You are guilty of profaning our Lord's death. So notice the word unworthily is not talking about the person whether he's in sin or not. But the word unworthy actually in the New King James translates better as in an unworthy manner. So it's talking about the manner that we should partake. Are we partaking of it with the right manner, the reverence as we meditate upon Christ's death? And so the Lord's Supper, we have to take of it in a very solemn and in a very respectful manner. Because the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Okay? So we are here to remember Christ's death. So we need to be very focused. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 says, For as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes. So as we here to take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering our mind of Christ's death. So don't take the Lord's Supper lightly. Okay? Uh, sometimes people say that the Lord's Supper, they use it as a time to chit-chat, catch up with brethren, ask how they are doing. There's a time for that. You can do it during the break when you have meals together. But don't do it in the Lord's Supper because the talking can be very distracting. People are trying to focus, trying to meditate on Christ's death. But we talk, we distract them. And also, don't give the Lord's Supper like a snack. Uh. Sometimes children are very very uh, playful. They want to take and eat. Uh. I have seen before parents that give them to eat. Uh. But the Lord's Supper is not for children. It's for people to remember Christ's death. So make sure we are partaking of it in the right manner. So some suggestions for those who are leading the Lord's Supper. When we pray for the Lord's Supper, focus the prayer on the Lord's Supper okay, and keep it brief. Uh. Sometimes people like to pray. Uh, they pray for everything. Uh. Pray for the world, world peace. Pray for people who are sick. Uh. That's the time for that. You can save it for the closing prayer. But remember, the Lord's Supper is to bring our minds to the Lord's death. So focus on it. Focus on praying for the Lord's Supper. Remember Christ's death. Thank God for His sacrifice. Thank God for His love. Okay. But don't go and pray about other things. I've thought people's thoughts get very scattered. And also, serve the Lord's Supper in an orderly manner. Uh. Okay. Uh, oftentimes, I realize that our good brother here, oftentimes overlooked. Uh. They serve, they go down, they forgot about our good brother, Cornelius here, doing the live stream. Okay. But always remember that everybody don't miss out anyone. Okay. Uh, over here inside is very good because our formation is all going straight down. Uh. So you probably won't miss anybody. But sometimes, last time when we were at Limapin, I noticed some servers serve in a haphazard manner. Sometimes go halfway, then go right, then go down, then go left. So very confusing. People will keep looking back. Is it coming to me already? So let people know how you are serving so that people will know. So orderly manner, so that people can focus. Uh, they will have to keep thinking about, is the Lord's supper coming to me? They focus on the Lord's death. So make sure everyone partakes of it. And the third point is a point that I think is quite important also. Although the Lord's Supper is commanded only for Christians, but there is no harm for visitors to partake of it. Why do I say that? I've come across a visitor that, whom I was studying with. Uh, he was quite offended one time because he was a Catholic. Uh, and when the, when the server was serving, he stopped the person from taking. It's only for Christians. The person was so offended that he never come to church again. Uh. So that was an opportunity that we lost, uh, that because of a bit of insensitivity. But it's nothing wrong for the person to take of it, although it has no significance. Okay. After all, visitors come. We allow them to sing, right? We don't stop them. We allow them to pray, right? We don't stop them. They hear the message as well. If they give, do we stop them? Uh? We don't stop them from giving, even though giving is commanded for Christians. But then you say, giving, we can take your money, but not supper, uh, you cannot take. Can you imagine how offensive it can become? So be sensitive. Allow them to take. It has no significance to them. It doesn't make them more safe. It doesn't make them more lost. Okay. So, in fact, if they are worshipping God, it's good for them to meditate. But of course, in our study with them subsequently, we can explain to them that the Lord's Supper is for Christians who are commanded to partake of the uh, to remember God's Christ's death. But for non-Christians, whether you take, it's inconsequential. Okay. And that's why we put that, that you are not obligated. But if you our visitors, our guests want to take, by all means, we serve them. The, right, the only thing is that they must take it with the right attitude as they meditate upon Christ's death. So that's for the Lord's Supper. Lastly, let's consider the giving. Again, giving is part of congregational worship. It's commander of Christians. So visitors don't have to feel obliged that they have to give. It's for Christians only. In fact, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 16 too, upon the first day of the week, 
So that is the worship where Christians gather. Let every one of you lay by him in store. The phrase lay by him in store actually signifies, literally translated as put into the treasury. So all of us are to give to the Lord. Okay? And it's, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Sometimes people look at that and say, oh, I have to lay in store. But I can lay in store at my home. Ah. But that defeats the purpose because Paul says, you lay in store so that there will not be gatherings. If you lay in store at home, ah, imagine Paul is saying that, lay in store so that there will be no gatherings. Perhaps the brethren will lay in store at home. So when Paul comes in 2 Corinthians, he says that we have not made up the bounty. Where's the giving? Because Christians were not giving to the church treasury. So this tells us that they have to lay in store, they have to put into the church treasury so that there will be no gatherings. When the church has need, we don't have to say, oh, time to pay rent. Everybody bring back the collection that we have stored at home. We have to give to the church so that when there's a need for it, the church can use it to pay for the expenses. And when we talk about giving, the attitude has to be one of a willing heart. Okay? Second Corinthians 8 verse 12 says, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man had and not according to what he had not. So God does not demand us to give beyond what we can, uh, we can have. Uh, you don't have to give above your salary. You don't have to go and borrow money in order to give to God. It's according to what we have. But notice it must be a willing mind. When we come to give to God, uh, see it as a privilege to give, uh, not as a burden. Sometimes like we say that, I uh, yeah, come to Sunday, have to give money to God again. We see it as a burden. But can you imagine that God has done so much for us? Shouldn't we show our gratitude? And the same manner that we give to our parents. We say that, uh, yeah, payday already, have to give to my parents, lose money again. No, uh, we are very willing to give, right? We give to our parents. In fact, we are happy to show that uh, it's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our piety, our love, and even to give them, repay them a bit of what they have sacrificed for us. When it comes to their birthdays, we don't say, ay, yeah, again, another time, uh, kana saman, uh, like going for wedding wedding dinner, ay, yeah, every time we receive invitation, I have to give. No, we do it with a joy of heart because we want to honor them, respect them. Similarly, when it comes to worship God, don't see giving as a burden. See it's a privilege that I can be able to demonstrate my gratitude to God for what He has done for me. And so those leading in giving ought to give cheerfully. Yeah. Okay. Don't put on a very sad face because people see that mood also get affected. Uh. In fact, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, let him give. Notice the key was there, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So when you give, uh, don't be very grudging. Aiyah, uh, very tight-fisted. Uh. Uh, yeah. Again, my budget get less. Uh. Less shopping this month. Don't do that. Okay. And don't give out of obligation. Uh, yeah, I have to give because the bag is passed. I feel obligated. I have to put something. Give because you want to give, not because you have to. In fact, don't treat giving like a mechanical routine. Uh. Okay. Sometimes you give, it feels like paying a fine. Uh, uh, very painful. Cannot fine. Sunday come and pay a fine. Okay. Or we pay like, we, 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 we give to God like paying ticket like that. Come to worship God, take a supper. Okay, give, pay money for that. No, it's not that. Uh. We are coming here to express our love for God. In fact, Paul says, giving expresses love. If you love someone, you will love to give, right? You give to your family, you give to your parents because you love them. You love people, that's why you give. So when it comes to loving God, one way to demonstrate is through giving. In fact, Paul will tell the Corinthians, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Even though giving is commanded for Christians, but Paul tells them it's also to prove the sincerity of your love. Because you can't say, I love you, I love someone, but yet not be willing to give. Giving is a demonstration of our attitude towards them. And so again, some suggestions for those who are leading in giving. Okay? This may not be so relevant now, but in times past when we're still dropping money into the bank, uh, okay, what, what I would like to encourage is for to prepare giving in advance. Because some people pass the bag and then they fumble over the money, look for their money. Uh, by the time the thing comes back, the person holds the thing awkwardly. Uh, the, the, the server is still not ready to hold it because he's still searching for the money. So I would say, good to prepare the money. Okay, but for now, of course, a lot of us using the e-payment. Uh, okay, so that's not really a problem. But the problem now is that sometimes, uh, like last week, uh, I serve others, I forget to give. Uh. It's only when I count the money, I realize, hey, I haven't given to God. Uh. So thankfully, it's on Sunday, I can still give. So when we serve, remember that we come back to our seat, don't forget about the giving. And also, it will be good to make mention of the purpose of the collection for the benefit of visitors. You can do it so like coming up front to say explicitly, or you can do so in your prayers. Help people to understand that the giving is for the work of the church. Because when visitors come here, they don't know. They thought, oh, I come here, I must pay entrance fee. Yeah. And the back come to me, I must pay. 
No, it's not. Let them know it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Okay, again, I use the word furtherance of the gospel, but it's to propagate the work of the church, help the gospel to carry on. Okay. So let them know what is it they are giving for, and then they'll be more willing to give even. And also one thing important, respect the privacy of others in giving. Uh. Okay. Well, younger always have the temptation that uh, people give, look inside uh, how much they give. Uh. But don't do that. Uh. Okay. Respect the privacy. The giving between them and God. Uh. You don't want people to feel embarrassed or what. Okay. So respect the privacy. Don't go and look inside, pass the bag around, and then collect back the bag. So these are some pointers that I'd like to share as we discuss about the role of worship leaders in the worship assembly. We talk about those who are leading in prayer. One criteria is that we need to live holy lives in order for our prayers to be accepted by God. As we lead the congregation in worship, we also need to set the example for the congregation. So make sure we have the right lives before God. For those who are leading in singing, remember to sing with the understanding. We are not just here to help people to sing, but we are also worshipping God at the same time. So when we sing, understand the lyrics, meditate on the words. And for those who are, who are preaching, make sure that we have a good example, live by what we teach others. Because you will not be an effective sermon if you are not practicing what we teach others. For those who are leading the Lord's Supper, it's not a small role, by the way. Okay, you are remember you are helping people to remember Christ's death. So be very focused. Make sure that you know what you are doing. Okay, when it's your time to come out to serve, make sure that you are aware of it. And lastly, when it comes to giving, be a cheerful giver. Put on a smile so that people are encouraged, people are motivated as they give to God as well. Worship leaders have a very respons important responsibility as we steer worshippers towards the right frame of mind. But for us as individuals, recognize that ultimately, how much we get out of worship also depends on how much we put into the worship. Sometimes we blame the worship, worship leaders. The sermon is no good, not edifying. So my worship is not really done in the right attitude. But we can't put the blame solely on them because a good worship leader can enhance our worship experience. But the reverse is not true, huh? A bad worship leader cannot prevent us from worshipping God in spirit and in truth. Even if the song leader is lousy, he doesn't sing well, he doesn't pace the song well, we can still meditate on the words and sing with our, our right spirit. This is very important. In closing, I'd like to share with you an account, a story that I came across about the story about a man by the name of Henry Ward Beecher. This man had a great reputation as a good orator. So one day, a visiting preacher came in for him and stood in for him to preach. By then, a large audience had already assembled. They were expecting to hear from Beecher to preach to them. But when the visiting preacher stepped into the pulpit, uh, some of the disappointed listeners began to leave uh, because they weren't here to hear him. They were here to hear Beecher. So this is when the visiting preacher stood up and said loudly, uh, all who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. All who have come to God can now take your seats. What's the point? Uh? Why are we here to why are we here on Sunday? Are we here because of people? Uh? Oh, my good friend is here, so I come. Or because of the preacher. Oh, certain brother is preaching, so I'm come here to support him. Or are we here because of good food? Uh? Agape lunch, or oh, I'm here. Not agape lunch, okay, I don't come. Or do I come here because oh brother give me a ride, then I come. Oh, no leave. Uh, never mind. Too inconvenient. I don't come. What is our purpose when we come to worship God? We come to worship God when there's food, even when there's no food. We come to worship God when it's sunny, even when it's rainy. We come to worship God when it's convenient, and even when it's inconvenient. Remember, our coming here is to worship God, not for other people. So what is our attitude today when we worship God? We have the attitude like David, uh, when he says, I was glad when they say unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We get excited when it's Sunday. Uh. Oh, next day worship. I want to sleep early, prepare my hearts and minds, coming to worship God. Are we like those in the days of Malachi? Uh? But the people say, what a weariness is it? Uh? They come to give God the poor, the weak, the lame, and the blind. Uh. Are we at uh, that attitude? Very bothersome. Sunday again. Two hours of our time wasted. Money wasted. Do we have an attitude? Come to worship God with the right attitude, with that of joy, and the worship will be edifying to us. To the friends that are among us, do you want to offer acceptable worship to God? How can we offer acceptable worship to God? In the time of Jeremiah, the people brought sweet incense to God, but God is not pleased. Why so? Because God gave them a commandment. He says, stand in the ways, see and ask for the old paths. What is the good way and walk therein? God says, you want to worship me? Do what I want. Walk in the good paths. 
and you shall find rest for your souls. But what did the people say? We will not walk therein. I want to worship God, but you accept it. Take it or leave it. I will do it my way. They don't want to listen to God. They don't want to obey God. But God rejected their worship. In fact, verse 19 of Jeremiah chapter 6, God says, I will bring evil upon these people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened to my words, to my law, but rejected it. So as you want to come to worship God, for it to be acceptable, we must do what God wants and not to reject His word. What does God want for us? Well, God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to obey His gospel. How, what do we need to do to be saved? This is a question that we need to answer. Well, God has done His part by sending His Son to die for us. Jesus shed His blood and the Holy Spirit has revealed the instructions for us. For us, it's very simple. To obey God, the gospel, to obey the gospel, we do have to climb the highest mountain, swim the furthest oceans. God just has simple requirements. Five steps plus being faithful, six steps. First, we have to hear the gospel. Some of you have been here with us for some time. You have heard the word of God. You may even have believed God's word. We have accepted that it is the truth. There is Jesus, the Son of God. God is there. God is existence. God exists. You may also want to think about repentance. To change your way of life, to change your way from sin and to follow God, submit your life to God. If you are willing to do that, then you can confess Jesus before men and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And thereafter, remain faithful and you shall receive a crown of life. You can worship God and God will accept your worship. Will you obey the gospel this morning? If you have a desire to obey the gospel or to make yourself right with God, why not make your request known as you sing, stand and sing the hymn of invitation and encouragement? Have thine own way. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy way. Yielded and sin. Have thine own way, Have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Wash me just now, as in thy presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold on my being. Absolute sway, fill with thy spirit, till all shall see, Christ only all.